The title of tonight's conversation is From Me to We. And this is not original. This is the name of a book written by a fellow named Bob, I think it's Coppell, Capelli or something like that. And uh, I was, had the great pleasure of being in his presence today. This is someone who, who is a, an activist and someone who is uh, very connected to, uh, to uh, he's actually the lead person in trying to convince the Obama administration uh, to uh, take very seriously the issues, uh, issues of climate change as well as he works with, uh, with deepening people's um, values and connection with values in organizations and, um, and individuals, and a very interesting guy. And he's really spent his whole life uh, moving toward trying to awaken people's consciousness, not just to intrapersonally, but interpersonally and with the whole world. And, Right now, he's doing great work on climate change. And I, I will share a few of his, some of his principles tonight, but I've just learned them, So I, even though they really are at the heart of the Dharma, so I haven't just learned those. But, I, um, but I'm, because I've just been introduced to him, I can't really uh, speak with any great um, mastery at uh, what he teaches. Uh, so I will fumble around, but I just wanted you all to, to be um, exposed to his teachings and, and also just to bring into the room tonight the issue again of, uh, of climate change, because most of you are probably very well educated. How many would you c- would consider yourselves well educated in the... Actually, not so many people are... Well... We're in some deep doo-doo. <laughs> That's one way of saying it. Uh, our, our temperature, uh, atmospheric temperature, has, uh, has risen to an extent that it's, it is really by, by the account of 95 to 98% of all scientists, uh, we are moving toward a kind of unsustainable um, temperature where already we're having an enormous increase of, of extreme weather, etc., and uh, issues around food and water, and it's just it's it's really quite shocking if you're really exposed to the information. It's so shocking that we tend to want to uh, to hide away and 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 pretend it doesn't exist. And we've found, of course, in our culture, lots of ways to, to, uh, to hide away, to dull ourselves, to distract ourselves. And so it's, uh, it's, it takes a, a great, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of uh, a serious interest, not just in the practice of mindfulness, but in the practice of dharma, which is really opening to truth. And... And I'm a little bit new at this, uh, even though I've been aware of the statistics, 
it, it's, it's really touching my heart now. And I think the reason it's touching my heart so deeply, uh, admittedly, is because I have a nine-and-a-half-year-old daughter who, will, who will, is growing up into a world that is, uh, that is, it is, there is no doubt We've already exceeded the limits that are that's really uh, possible for us to to have a, a stable atmosphere. I don't know if how many of you know for for basically the last ten thousand years there were uh, the the balanced the balanced amount of CO two in the atmosphere it maintained a relative balance in spite of the ever changing temperature or output of the sun, it goes in cycles. The balance of, of CO2 has remained in somewhere in between 200 and 280 parts per billion, per million. Is it billion or million? Billion, million, 280 parts per million. It has, um, it is now at, so what's really optimum, what keeps the, Earth at a relative balance is 200, and 200 to 280. It is now at 400. It, it was understood that the max was about 350. We've blown through the max of what allows us to have a stable atmosphere. And now, and it is increasing exponentially. Uh, in the last 10 years, I think the temperature, the increase has doubled. Um, so anyway, it's, it's happening. And it's happening largely because of, of our consciousness and the, the culture of individualism of, of me. And, um, and it's, it takes a certain kind of radical approach. And fortunately, we have, within our capacity, we have a radical approach. Uh, radical meaning it really um, it means turning, looking at things quite differently. And the, and the Dharma, the teachings, uh, they, um, they provide a, a radical approach that is much more, as we've been talking about in this group over the last many weeks, about coming out of the last years, months, coming out of the narrow uh, gravitational field of our own self-preoccupations, a little bit less stuck between our ears and widening our perspective, widening our view. And, uh, and widening our view means recognizing that we don't exist apart from all things, from all beings, that we are really one th reality is connected everywhere at all times, and that there is nothing that really exists separately in truth. And I've talked about widening our focus, remembering that this is a this is a planet that is uh, that is multicultural, every shape and size. And Jen reminded us several weeks ago that we also need to narrow our view and look closely at the people around us, our community. But even that is widening our view beyond the, the scope of our own preoccupations. And last week I spoke of the promise of, of awakening, which is clearly the process of moving from that sense of, uh, of me and mine to see through the, 
what we call the self-illusion, to see through the, the views of ourselves that make us feel that we're separate, and to, to realize in a very intimate and very immediate way uh, our connection with the, with the family of things, with all life. And we do that just by proxy when we sit quietly together. We, for a few moments, we stop and we suspend any views that we have of ourselves for a moment, and we just connect with the reality of our bodies, our breath. And we may not even know it at first, but in that moment of suspending those self-views, we all of a sudden feel a little bit connected. We feel a little bit more centered, a little bit less adrift, less like that one wave that got separated from the ocean. And that's a, a small taste. And of course, that, if that taste gets bigger, we start to know this experience of ourselves as so intimately connected to everything that we cannot help but fall in love with, with each other, with a certain kind of caring and kindness. We cannot help but feel pain when we're faced with the, with the suffering in the world and the suffering of our, not just the world, the suffering of our planet in this case. And we also connect with the, the desire to share in the, um, in the joy that, that is possible in this world. And we want to protect that joy and, so that we can live with a kind of appreciative joy uh, in, instead of being so caught up in in uh, just me. So the whole of our practice is moving from the narrow gravitational field of our of me to the wider gravitational field of, of we. And that's not easy. It's not easy. Uh, some of us just, in my case, I don't think I would be quite as, even though I'm I've done a lot of Dharma practice. I don't think I would be quite as sensitive to the pain of the planet if it wasn't for my nine-year-old daughter. That, that, that slight widening of, the, of my circle of, of caring, just that much has been enough to, in some ways, galvanize my own uh, interest in seeing what I can do. And then also my proximity to you, the, those of you who come and sit uh, week after week, some of you drop in, some of you, you know, many people come and go. But to the degree that I'm here every week, I really care about you. I care about us and what we are doing with our own minds, what we're doing with our planet. So I, like many other people who sit in, this, in the seat of the Dharma, I I really want to, I want us to really awaken. I want, I don't want us to be shrouded by our uh, comfort, our distractions, our privilege. I want us to, to go all the way. I want us to not be, be in the preoccupation of our own internal drama. And of course, every week I just try to shake, shake us out of it to the best of my ability. But that, um, but the, where the rubber meets the road is you with you and you with your life, you with your resources, you with your carbon footprint, uh, all of us. And 
I know that if we made a commitment as a group, uh, as a community, to, to, uh, be, to be conscious, to be aware of our, of our impact, I think we could actually, because we all, each of us, in that most deep understanding, because we are all always touching everyone at every moment, even our small group could have a huge impact. And, of course, we, we were waxing today about the possibility of all the sanghas because I was together in this meeting with all of the, uh, the main insight meditation sanghas of all through Europe, some in Asia, uh, all, all across the U.S., Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts, Spirit Rock, all, and everybody's um, dealing with the same world. And everyone has it on their mind that they'd like to be more conscious. Any of you interested in being more conscious of how you inhabit this planet? And would you like to be able to reduce your footprint and, and perhaps uh, stem the tide of the rising temperatures, if it's possible, so that at least the next five or six generations from now may have a world that they can still inhabit? I mean, it's that serious. Well, I have a few things that, that I was offered as things that I could do and that I could do personally, but I figured why not share it with all of you, see if you might be willing to do this personally. And there are people, there are people who devote their lives to helping us do this as well. There are a lot of, a lot of activists around climate change. So first, I checked off all of these things that I'm willing to do. And it's amazing how, how unconscious I have been in so many ways. Even though this circles around in my consciousness, it comes in and goes out. I can easily, in spite of, in spite of trying to be conscious every day, I can go to sleep. It's built into our um, conditioning to fall into the forces of greed and, ind- and individualism uh, aversion to anything unpleasant. I was thinking about the the aversion to the enormity of the pain of of this um, of climate change, and I realized tonight I I got some I spilled something on my shirt, and then I went into the restroom to try to wash it off with the soap, and the soap had such a horrific smell that I, that I felt this tremendous aversion. I couldn't even handle the smell of soap, let alone global warming. I, I, anyway, sorry. <laughs> I realized just how, how deep the conditioning of, of reactivity is in, our, in, in my own mind and I know in the minds of so many people. So the first one that I am willing to do, and in fact when I think about it now I, I'm very committed to this, and I think as a Sangha we could actually reduce our our carbon footprint about 25%. So that each of us could, would everybody be willing to do that? How many would be willing to reduce your, there's enough here that I can go ahead. I will undertake a household material, energy, and waste audit with a view to reducing emissions. Number one. I will reduce my household energy use by a specific amount, 20 to 30%, by reducing the number of energy-dependent goods, unplugging energy vampires, 
and increasing building efficiency. Many people are doing this already. I will explore the possibility of switching to a green energy supplier, purchasing green energy, and or installing my own solar hot water, solar energy, or other renewable energy systems. I will review my travel habits and arrangements to see if there are ways of reducing the carbon footprint of my travel. I will reduce my consumption of meat and other carbon-intensive foods. Now, those of you who are educated in this uh, uh, know this already, but it turns out that that the cost, not the cost, but the effect of raising animals for food produces 18% more greenhouse gas emissions in CO2 equivalent than all the cars, trucks, planes, trains, and other means of transportation. If we just reduced our meat intake, or eliminated it, if you were willing to. Enormous, rapid shift in this balance, for whatever that's worth. Okay, again, I'm not, so, I'm not as well educated as, as a uh, climate expert, so part of what, we would, what I would also encourage is that, you, is that together we find who are the best people to learn from in terms of climate change. Because I, you know, I can just talk about the Dharma and talk about how important this issue is in our Dharma practice. And I, I want to do that over the next, for the rest of my life. Uh, but really to learn about this, we all have to do our own homework. But I'll keep going with this list. Uh, I will reduce my consumption of all material goods by buy recycled products when possible, reduce my waste, and increase my recycling. I will investigate ways to prepare for and increase my resilience to the impacts of climate change. I will invest my money in ethical banks and companies that do not support companies or practices that degrade the planet or harm other people. I will study climate change in order to become better informed. I already talked about that. I will study my inner reactions and responses that arise around this theme. I will support elected officials and public policies that reduce greenhouse gas emissions and help prepare for the impacts of climate disruption. I will reflect on the relation of this theme to the Dharma and Buddhism. I would like to receive updates. Uh, never mind. That's another. <laughs> There's a, a wonderful organization that has been forming that's come out of the wildlife, I forgot the name of the company, WW Wildlife, World Wildlife Fund. The, the head of one of the directors uh, sat a uh, retreat at IMS this year and uh, volunteered to start this this. Um, site called One Earth Sangha, and uh, to help people stick with their, their plans to uh, educate themselves and to, to make their lifestyle compatible with, um, with the earth and with the Dharma.
So here is what uh, Bob Capelli, I'm so sorry, I don't have his last name down, but uh, he, he's come up with a list of five laws of commitment and, and associated with practices of sustainability, how to think, how to act, etc. And they're all related to, to deep Dharma principles that we talk about all the time here. And the first one that we've already referred to this evening is reflecting every day, really looking into deeply and immediately uh, the, the reality of interdependence, that we don't exist apart from each other. And the first thing is to look around and see what we are part of. You know, that we're not just, it's not just us. What are we a part of? What are we connected to? What's, what's affecting us? What are we affecting? I often half joke about part of the motivation for our practice is for, the way I put it, is for the people who have to live around us every day. But it really is, a, it's a more serious thing. It's what are we, how are we impacting our environment? How is our environment impacting us? And who are our, who is our tribe? Who is our, who are our, um, who are we sharing this planet with? And what are we part of? And this is the Dharma principle of, of interdependence, the Dharma principle of, of emptiness, of emptiness of self. When we see through the illusion of separateness, we see through the illusion of other. And that's, that's at the heart of what we do. So we, when I do something, if I knew that by my actions, if, if I really knew by my actions I was actually causing harm to hundreds to thousands of people, would I do it? Of course not. But it takes a, it takes a deep kind of reflection to realize that I may be doing that. I may be doing it by consuming meat. I may be doing it by, by driving excessively to, uh, to wherever I need to go or driving the wrong car or any of those things. There's no, it's not a, uh, it is a moral issue, but it's not about moralizing. It's about each of us, just as we work with the precepts, it's about each of us uh, interacting with them, reflecting on them, making, bringing them alive. Am I causing harm? Am I, am I causing harm with my body, with my speech, with my thoughts? So the interdependence, and then the, the second one is basically karma, cause and effect. Just the, uh, the impact of our activity, that our actions, no matter what we do in our lives, what we think, what we say, every action has a result. And this isn't to scare us, it's actually, to, it's, to me, it's a very hopeful, it's a positive quality. It's something that, that means that you have, we have within our power to plant seeds that, that bring well-being, that bring wholeness rather than bring harm. But we also have the potential of doing a lot of harm. Each of us, not just we as a people, but each of us in our own way, every day. This is where the rubber meets the road each of our individual lives. So then the third one he calls moral justice. That's basically non-harming. Do no harm. That's the heart of it. Do no harm. To the extent that you know that, you're, that what you're doing causes harm, stop it. 
do good. Do good every day. Even in the sutras, the Buddha talked about trying to leave this planet, leave whatever gathering, leave whatever you do better than you found it. How many of us think about that every day? Beautiful. Thank you, Carrie. So we have interdependence, cause and effect, moral justice. We'll elaborate on these as the months go on because they're really at the heart of of what the teachings of awakening are all about. We have moral justice, his third one. The fourth one, and these are, of course, these are, are an interdependent whole. The fourth one he calls trusteeship, which is really another name for compassion and caring, a, a caring, compassionate response to the world that we find ourselves. And it's a, that joy that we have, that the compassion and joy, where we really want to uh, protect the, the earth for, so that other people can enjoy it. And then we have that, be able to have that appreciation. So trusteeship, and then last, what he calls free will, which is the, the reality that, uh, as he puts it, you, we choose our own destiny. That, as Padmasambhava put it, if you want to understand your past, look at your present experience individually. If you want to understand your future, look at your present actions, that every action uh, is the womb out of which your future present moments will arise. So everything that you do now, and that you have this capacity to plant seeds, that this, this moment, this life, is a creative field of possibility. Uh, and we can't, we can't necessarily uh, stop the effects of what seeds have already been planted. Like, we cannot, we can't um, reverse, at this point anyway, the, the heating up of our planet but we can, we can stem the tide and we can plant the seeds of, of what he talked about before, that sense of resilience as, a, as something that we can actually practice. Equanimity, we can practice compassion, we can practice learning how to actually live in harmony. It's very confronting to think about uh, changing the way that I live. I am so entrenched in habits. And, but I'm kind of, I'm interested in it, and I'd love all of us to be interested in it, to live in harmony with things the way they are. Not just uh, accept that there is a, this is a painful planet, but live more in harmony with the planet, where I'm not adding to the burden that's already heavy enough. So free will, which he calls uh, the Buddhist, the Buddhist principle that he connects it to is what's called panya, or wisdom. Uh, this is just the, um, the, the wisdom to know that there is suffering in this world. It is the first truth, that what causes it is the, this obsessive uh, craving to keep going, to become, to have more, to get rid of, to, to be in reaction to life, uh, that that's produced our wars, that's produced this, in, this enormous consumer machine that's never made anybody happy. 
that's produced this, uh, this narrow focus, this narrow sense of individualism. But he didn't stop, that, the Buddha didn't stop with the understanding that what causes us to go so unconscious is this deep tendency to want things other than the way they are and to not open to life. He went on and said there is the possibility of, of being of finding peace and freedom in the midst of it all. And there is a path, a way that we can live our lives wisely in a non-harming way. There's a way that we can be sensitive to our relationship to our planet, to our resources, to how we, um, how we talk about that, how we think about it. We can, uh, we can stop taking that which wasn't, isn't offered. We can stop stealing from the planet, from our, we can stop stealing from the next generation, which is in a sense what we're doing. And we can, uh, yeah, we can love each other by loving this planet. So I wanted to just read a couple little poems, uh, passages that remind us of our interbeing, our interconnectedness, and it may not get you motivated, but, but it's always good to remember that we are not alone here. And we're, we're touching and being touched in every moment by, by this earth and by all beings. As Thich Nhat Hanh put it, when we look into, at a beautiful chrysanthemum, we get the impression that this flower is full of the cosmos. Everything in the cosmos is there in the flower including the cloud, the sunshine, the soil, minerals, time, space, and everything. It looks like the whole cosmos has come together to manifest the flower. The one contains the all. There is only one thing that is not there. That is a separate entity, a separate existence. The flower is full of the cosmos of everything else, but the flower is empty of a separate self. No separate self, that is the first meaning of emptiness. You cannot be by yourself. You have to interbe with the cosmos. And we are, all, we are all in you. If you look deeply into yourself, you see all of us in you. That is the beginning of the contemplation of interbeing. As D.H. Lawrence put it in his peace called Apocalypse. We cannot bear connection. We must break away and be isolate. We call that being free, being individual. Beyond a certain point which we have reached, it is suicide. What man most passionately wants is his living wholeness, his living unison, not his own isolate salvation of his soul. I am part of the sun as my eye is part of me. That I am part of the earth, my feet know perfectly, and my blood is part of the sea. There is nothing of me that is alone and absolute except my mind. And we shall find that the mind has no existence by itself. It is only the glitter of the sun on the surface of the waters. Just a couple more. Old trusty Albert Einstein, 
A human being is part of the whole, called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings, as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task's task must, must be to free from this prison, to, be, to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature and its beauty. And last but not least, John Muir, since we're in the neighborhood of the John Muir's uh, Muir Beach. When we try to pick anything out by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. So let's just sit quietly. Remembering that there is, in the midst of it all, the capacity for peace, that we let that peace marinate, percolate, and out of that comes wise action, comes our deep caring love. And a deep wish that all beings can have a happy life and a peaceful life and feel safe from outer harm, from inner harm, that all beings can recognize the sacred happiness that is free of sorrow right here, right now. And a deep wish that all beings, especially in regard to our worldly winds that, that blow, that we can, especially that we can find serenity and equanimity, able to meet the inevitable joys, the inevitable sorrows with less reactivity. And a deep wish that our practice on our cushion and off our cushion, today and every day, be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all, including ourselves. May all beings be liberated. May all beings do the right thing. So thank you for, uh, for uh, joining me in my, my uh, kind of Infant, infancy in the um, climate change world and being able to talk about it. And I promise to become more educated. I promise to be able to speak about it more clearly and effectively. And uh, thanks for letting me kind of stumble around. And uh, I look forward to hearing what all of you are doing. And we'll try to figure out a way that we can actually formally uh, engage in this uh, practice of of um, our, our material and audit and our 
just the way that we live with ourselves and with each other. So thank you. Hope to see you. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. I will, sorry, I will not be here next Tuesday. I think it's Yvonne Ginsberg will be back by popular demand. Yvonne is wonderful. If you haven't sat with Yvonne, every time I come back after Yvonne has sat here, people come up to me and wax so appreciatively about her. So if you haven't sat with her, please come and sit with Yvonne. Also support her very generously and support your fellow Sangha uh, members generously too. Your presence is the greatest act of generosity. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.